Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you for joining me this week after the Dutch Grand Prix. I am recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, um, even though we'll go to air or get published on the usual Thursday. So if anything happens between now and then, then it's kind of going to look a bit funny. But I'm um, just giving you the heads up and the warning there that this is the case this week. Just... Um, uh, scheduling and logistics and life stuff kind of made it so that I would be able to record today instead. So yeah, I hope everyone's well. Um, another weekend of F1 racing. We're in the middle of a triple header, which finishes off this weekend in Monza, but a lot to talk about from, from Zandvoort and not, you know, at least the uh, drama with the flares that we had during qualifying. I'm glad <clears throat> We didn't see any on the race, uh, during the race actually, because they did have to red flag part of qualifying because there was a flare thrown on track, so it's, that's a bit silly, and you know, I know it's hard to stop people from doing this sort of thing, but uh, you know, I guess they have to just come up with, uh, like, event organisers and security have to come up with better ways to police it, because yeah, not to sound like a party pooper or anything, it is quite dangerous, and it's, um, there's a reason why they're trying to outlaw it, but I feel like they could do a better job as well, particularly with searching at the gates, I don't know if they do, what they do here with, um, you know, not that flares are metal or anything, but, you know, often people get randomly stopped and searched at the gates if you go into the footy or the cricket here, I know they're a bit more lax when it comes to F1 and racing events in general. They just check your bag, that's it. But, you know, people can strap them to their legs or other parts and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, we'll try not to talk too much about flares and all that sort of uh, jazz because there's other jazz to talk about. Um, again, the tinfoil hats have gone on, conspiracy theories about how this race unfolded, we'll talk a bit about that a bit later, but first, another majestic performance from Max Verstappen, he outfoxed his rivals on the track and in the pits as well to win the Dutch Grand Prix from pole, and you know, while that's the result, he won the race from pole position, it all seems like it was, um, you know, bound to happen, and you know, it's a walk in the park for him. It was quite intriguing how the race uh, unfolded because you had Mercedes who, for the first time this season, really threatened for the win. Um, they were quick on the hard tyres. They were on a one-stop strategy. Toto Wolff, before the race, when he met with it, did their team meeting, said that, you know, we're going to take risks today, we're going to gamble. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't pay off, but you do have to commend them for being in that position to be able to threaten for the win. So, you know, I feel like they are still going to win a race this season, but it wasn't going to be here this afternoon with the way things unfolded. Let's wind the clock back, though, to qualifying. So Verstappen on pole, but by the smallest margin all season. It was like two one-hundredths of a second, 0.021 was the gap between him and Charles Leclerc in Q3. Um, Leclerc had set the benchmark time. Max had gone out, uh, sorry, Leclerc then went out again on the final runs and bettered that time. He was a bit off in the middle sector, and that's where Max uh, made up the time to get that gap that he needed. So that was very close and very exciting between them. I think, you know, there was 
expectation that Ferrari should do well around this track, uh, particularly in qualifying trim as they have done all season, uh, given that there's less emphasis on power, more so on the downforce and the slow speed uh, corners and stuff. Not really slow speed corners, but a lot more corners to negotiate than, than straights. And then there was also bit of intrigue around uh, Hamilton because apparently he was on for a quick lap too at the end before we had Sergio Perez crash at the final corner. Um, whether that was orchestrated too, you know, if you got your tinfoil hat, sure. You know, <laughs> I think there's no malice in it at all. I mean, he did it back in Monaco to protect his own pole position, if you want to call it even that. So, yeah, you know, the fact that a Red Bull driver does it or whatever, or a driver that's not a Mercedes does it, it's suddenly, you know, a crime against humanity. So um, while I don't have the figures available, and I said this after uh, qualifying, when I did the qualifying review for Grid Talk, um, Hamilton apparently had the fastest first sector or was on a personal best first sector, so he could have been on for at least a front row start. And he hasn't started in the top three all season in qualifying, so that's a stat that will probably be bugging him a little bit. But, um, you know, still fourth was was pretty good, and considering he was leading a bit of the race as well, they weren't too far off. But again, they might lament the fact that because they didn't start at the front of the grid, you know, from P1 or... um, at least on the front row of the grid, that uh, it cost him in the end. So Max and the Ferraris, they start on the soft tyres. They're on a different strategy to Mercedes, who are on the mediums behind them. Um, soft tyre runners had to come in relatively early-ish. So we saw Max in on lap 19 in response to Leclerc's stop. Um, further down the grid, we have the first driver onto the hard tyres. I think Fernando Alonso was the one. He showed some good pace. And Pirelli brought their hardest range of tyres too. So, you know, people throughout the season have been complaining about the hard tyre, um, even though it's kind of in the middle of the range when it was in those races. This is the race where they had the hardest three compounds and the hard tyres is like are meant to be like a brick. But, you know, they did quite well in on this particular track and whatnot so he was showing some good pace on the hard compound uh lando norris as well racing inside the top 10 did the same thing basically trying to beat the alpines do the same strategy as them uh which didn't end up eventuating but uh, he still scored some good points did lando this brought a lot of intrigue with it to the likes of mercedes who would have been studying the data and the numbers, the data, data, um, and thus were able to pit their guys halfway through or just before halfway through the race to get onto the hard tyre. So they were able to then overhaul Checo, get in behind Charles Leclerc as well. Um, and basically, they're in a good position at that point because they knew the two guys ahead of them, Verstappen and Leclerc, would have to pit a second time. Uh, given that the fact that they had committed to two-stop strategies starting on the soft tyre and then having changed to the mediums, and the mediums weren't going to get them all the way to the end of the race, given how early they were in. So they knew Mercedes that Max would come out behind them, and they would have to be passed for, for the Red Bull to be able to win. Though such was Max's pace, I've got to say, through the race, that it 
wasn't really or it should not have been really doubted that he could actually do it you know I know Zanvoort's not the best track for overtaking and we didn't see quite a lot of overtaking even with that extended DRS zone down the pit straight um the way Verstappen kind of reeled in Hamilton after the safety car restart showed yeah there was no stopping him regardless of tire compound and whatnot so that was an intriguing part of the race sadly we didn't actually see it unfold that way because we had a virtual safety car out on lap 48 for a bizarre stoppage by Yuki Tsunoda so this is where you gotta um hold on to your horses and buckle up for the ride (laughs) of course you know this is just my how you know I'm gonna state what happened and then give you my interpretation of it so don't go sharpening those pitchforks just yet um so Sonoda had a pit stop he came out thought that there was a problem with the rear maybe the rear tires weren't on or he was talking about a differential um he pulled over to the side of the track loosened his belts as well thinking that he was out of the race but then was able to get going and return to the pits it was a long second stop in that instance um alpha tauri basically not diagnosing the error properly they couldn't see it on their um on their uh data and whatnot so they basically tightened his seat belts sent him back out on different tires and then basically not even exiting the pits uh they started telling him you got to find somewhere to stop on the track you know to the side so it was basically an error from alpha tauri with their interpretation and not being able to diagnose the problem properly um that led to this all happening and basically just the timing of that was ill to mercedes it was ill suited or you know basically stuffed there race because what had happened is it got uh, Verstappen the crucial time that he needed to make that um, second pit stop to switch over to the hard tires Mercedes decided as well let's you know use this opportunity to cover and get onto another set of medium tires to be able to have extra grip you know at least they'll be a bit more competitive than Verstappen on the hard tires on fresh uh, set of mediums but what kind of unfolded after that you know post race and everything was absolutely disgusting to see uh, again abuse being hurled towards uh you know certain parties so in this case there was Yuki Tsunoda then also the chief strategist for Red Bull in Hannah Schmitz who you know there's people out there who are applauding her for you know making the right decisions on the day and you know making the right calls with uh, getting max in later as well for another set of soft tires but then there's people who want to lay dig into her and lay blame for you know oh you know she was uh, cackling away on the pit wall as it was seen in the tv images when the virtual safety car came out because it meant that she could they could uh pit what do you call it they could pit Verstappen but also it was the Red Bull sister team that had caused this is there was there some kind of agreement or you know they had Christian Horner had tapped them on the shoulder can you please uh, retire one of your cars and trigger a safety car kind of thing like come on are we that you know I know people are still traumatized and whatnot after Abu Dhabi but get over it you know that's all done and dusted now and this was just a situation that was poorly handled by Alpha Tauri for not doing it properly and just you know they happen to be Red Bull's uh, sister team so you know there's no 
reason and logic in um, proportioning blame in the respect of, you know, the fact that they conspired to make this happen. So, yeah, that is totally not on. And, you know, I'm talking about the flares before being poor form and poor behavior. What goes on social media is just as poor. I've never seen um, F1 social media this toxic and poor in all the time, you know, since social media became a part of Formula One or people started jumping on Twitter and whatnot. Um, before F1 fully embraced social media, that it's it's just been horrible. It is a cesspool. It's like, you know, dealing with incels that are on, you know, websites such as 4chan and whatnot, basically either looking for trouble or, you know, trying to troll somebody. It's It's just not on. And especially when you're abusing someone hurtful, using hurtful comments against someone else's work, who don't even have a way to come back and um, have their opinion heard because they're trying to be professional whereas people who just want to click away and you know start sending out these hurtful messages don't even don't even think professionally or whatever so it's it's very hurtful to see and it's very disgusting and you know I'm not saying it because I'm a I'm a Max Verstappen fan or a Red Bull fan or anything like that you know I'm not uh, any of that, you know, I'm not a, a fan of either, so back off, um, and it's just, again, you know, I know, I've got a friend, I've got people who tell me just to not look, not look at the comments, but it feel, it must be called out, this sort of behavior, I think, so, yeah, that was a bit sad, um, but going back to the race, Max got the pit stop he needed, Mercedes were on the medium tires, uh, and this, basically put Max back in the lead, but then we had a safety car, a full safety car come out on lap 55 because Valtteri Bottas grind to a halt on the main straight next to the pit lane, uh, and sad for Bottas because it was two, two retirements on the trot, so after the opening laps that um, the opening lap incident or lap two incident with Nicholas Latifi in Spa so this brought out the safety car that had to recover the Alfa Romeo from straight but we saw Verstappen then come in for a fresh set of soft tires because he's like why not you know and that's the call that the strategist made that was you know spot on because Originally, they wanted to go long enough in that middle stint to be able to put on the soft tyre at the end. So if they had to overhaul and pass the Mercedes, they would have the best available tyre to be able to do so. But in this instance, they got the second opportunity to do that, even though they were on the hard tyre after the virtual safety car. They got the second opportunity to do that. They put them on the soft tyre. It did give track position back to Hamilton and, and to Russell initially, but then we saw Russell demanding to come in to change to the soft tyre as well. Then this was a call again that you got to give praise to Russell for thinking on his feet because he's like, okay, let's do this, let's do this, let's get off the medium tyre because that's going to leave us exposed, let's get on the soft tyre. Um, and basically this left Hamilton in the lead on medium tires, furious that, you know, the team didn't suggest that he do the same thing. Um, but then also why didn't he think of it too? You know, Hamilton said on the radio was giving all sorts of grief to the team, said that, the t you know, they screwed him over 
and it was all in the heat of the moment. He did apologize afterwards, so no point having to go at Hamilton for that. But I think in that situation, he was unlucky, but also didn't think of, you know, didn't react the same way Russell did to to come in for those soft tires. So, um, basically, Max on the quicker tires behind Hamilton had to wait for the safety car restart. You know, he got the good run out of the final corner and basically said goodbye to the Mercedes. And apparently Hamilton might have been in the wrong mode as well or flicked a, a switch on his steering wheel that meant that he didn't have the the ERS charge or something that he could have used to defend. So that basically was Sayonara to Max and then also Sayonara to Hamilton uh, on the podium because... Russell on the soft tyres was much quicker, he got a bit too close to Hamilton before the pass, I don't know what was that about between the teammates, thought they were going to crash there for a second, but luckily they didn't down the straight, Russell in for a podium, and then of course Leclerc coming in to relegate him off the podium altogether, so it was fourth in the end for Hamilton, Leclerc back on the podium for the first time in, I think since Austria, Um, but yeah, you know, this is where this is where, you know, the the whole conspiracy theory and, you know, again, the fact that it was Hamilton that lost a victory or whatever, people are getting flashbacks to Abu Dhabi, it just, it doesn't add up in this instance, you know, there was nothing untoward, it was just a series of events that were unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate series of events, um, or series of unfortunate events, that's the series of books that um enjoyed reading as a youngster so i'm sure you've all heard of it check it out if not um but yeah you know there's nothing you can't really proportion blame to anyone like i'm just saying in hindsight maybe hamilton should have thought of the soft tires himself but you know you look at his season so far and as amazing as it's been with the podiums and whatnot there have been instances earlier in the year where he um, lost good results because of, say, to, you know, the timing of safety cars and whatnot. You look at Australia where he was furious because Russell got to benefit from a safety car or, you know, a, a virtual safety car as it was and um, got out on quicker tyres than he did. Uh, but we don't say that that was a conspiracy theory, do we? So it's just the fact that, you know, Red Bull were involved again Mercedes are involved that people have got to blow up on the internet and have to make their opinion heard in in a way that is hurtful to others. Um, Behind them, Carlos Sainz had a horrible, horrible race, and you've got to feel sorry for poor Carlos Sainz here, because uh, most of the problems were not even from him directly, it was the team. Ferrari had to just come in and stuff up strategy again and stuff up the pit stops again you know it wouldn't be a race if Ferrari didn't do that uh the first stop that he made was bungled because the one of the rear tires I think the rear left tire wasn't even ready uh for them they had the wheel gun sitting in the middle of the pit lane or in the path of uh Red Bull when they came out so Perez actually hit the rattle gun I think it was so that you know, should warrant some kind of financial penalty for Ferrari for being sloppy in that instance. Science lost a whole bunch of time and also the track position to Checo because he was, you know, ahead of uh, Perez at this point, but um, wasn't in that instance. Then he made a pass under a yellow flag on Esteban Ocon, I think. 
as well, or I don't think he did, and somehow they managed to avoid getting a penalty for that, because I think he might have handed that position back, but he did get a five-second time penalty for another unsafe release in during the safety car, um, and he was released into the path of one of the Alpines, I think it was Ocon in that instance, or Alonso, so, you know, Sainz having good fun with his former team, uh, getting involved with both cars in different instances, so that five-second time penalty dropped him from six to eight, or fifth to eighth, I think, at the end of the day, so not a good day for him, um, so Checo coming in fifth, Fernando Alonso, who qualified 13th, finishing sixth, uh, with that hard tyre strategy that I mentioned earlier, and Ocon too, starting from outside the top 10, finishing ninth, Lando in P7, it was a good race for him, you know, it, it just, yeah, you know, the fact that he started in the top 10, um, but just couldn't keep up with the race pace of Alonso, meant that, you know, he did the best thing he could, again, uh, flying, the fa- uh, flying the flag for McLaren with one hand tied behind his back, or McLaren flying the flag with one hand tied behind their back with uh, Daniel Ricciardo not in the points and down in P17 finishing only ahead of Nicholas Latifi who was a lap down is just oh it is painful and I'm so sorry that it's it hurt like it hurts me to see this that's the thing you know people are like oh you know using big words of like betrayed and that and I know the F1 direction or whatever during the broadcast said something like still struggling on the screen that was a bit unprofessional and a bit silly from them but yeah you know is it that's the thing like is his form just continuing to slump because he's got no confidence and he knows that he's not going to be with the team next year or you know is this just basically a continuation of what um his season's been like, or his entire McLaren tenure been like, so it's, you know, there's no point in speculating and and debating about it, because we know that the deed is done, and he won't be there next year, but it's just sad to see him, you know, whimpering around at the rear of the grid, and not being able to have an impact in the race, and be fighting with guys like we know that he's used to fighting really well within the midfield, and towards the front of the grid, so... Not a very good race for him again. Uh, Lance Stroll came home, picked up the final point, so good for him and Aston Martin. Not really much to say about that, but they were strong during the weekend. They were quick in practice. They were up there in the top 10, so, you know, a track like this suiting them and all the Mercedes-powered cars, I think, were doing quite well. So Alex Albon down there in 12th too, so not too far off the points. Pierre Gasly qualified 11th, finished 11th, um, biggest news about him over the weekend was, you know, his strong links to uh, Alpine, so he could be the person who replaces Fernando Alonso next year. Whether he's going to get on with Esteban Ocon or not remains to be seen, because they've got history between those two, as we've said previously. But at the end of the day, you know, the team are going to demand a level of professionalism and you know a a stern approach and professionalism has been the word of the day so far so you know they can't really be going and causing trouble amongst them too so yeah it's not really a center pros type situation where they're fighting for the championship they'll be fighting for fourth or something in the constructors championship next year unless someone else gets to, to step up on them but 
yeah, you know, wait and see how that one unfolds because there's more to come from that too. So that pretty much sums up the Dutch Grand Prix, the visit to Zandvoort. More points for Max, of course, 109 points he's leading the championship by. So, you know, do your math. I'm sure either by Singapore or Suzuka we could see this whole thing wrapped up if he continues to um, drive the way he's been driving. I pointed out last week and you know maintain that we could see him potentially break Sebastian Vettel's record of um, biggest points difference between first and second in the championship which is 155 which was set back in 2013 Um, but it all depends on how the drivers behind them fare because I don't really see anyone at the moment bar Mercedes potentially you know getting the upset win uh, Ferrari just don't seem to be in it in the races. Sergio Perez struggling with a car at the moment, but you know still got a decent result. He's tied on points now with Leclerc, but I'm sure he can still improve. Kincheco. Um So yeah, it's really Mercedes who I think can get the upset win at some point this season. You know whether it's a Singapore or Brazil. Even Brazil was one that I've said all along that we could probably see Hamilton win at. Uh, like he did last year, which was a spectacular race and spectacular drive from him in the sprint and also in the actual Grand Prix. So, yeah, we'll see how that all unfolds. We'll talk about Monza anyway in a little bit. I want to do the the resolution part of this episode, and that's the CRB ruling, the Contract Recognition Board, uh, coming to a verdict just ahead of um, qualifying, I think, or second practice on the Friday. And their verdict was that only McLaren had a valid contract with Oscar Piastri, which was signed on the 4th of July for the seasons 2023 and 2024. So before we get into the date and stuff that it was signed, it just shows or it just brings further embarrassment to Alpine, of course, their mismanagement of the whole situation and then also how oh you know I don't even know the word to describe it but the confidence that we had from the team boss at Otmar Safnauer just seems so silly um, given the fact that they had no contract you know McLaren had a watertight deal it was all there there was no you know agreements or handshake things it was all written out clearly and whatnot whereas Alpine just I don't know what they had with him I think it was some kind of document that they had to present with for the Concord agreement that had Oscar Piastri's name on it given the fact that he was going to be the reserve and test driver for this season and that was not presented to presented as a as a contract so you know at the end of the day the Piastri camp was in the right, they did the right thing for their driver, all that remains to be seen given how he fares next year and I'll get to that in a second, but Alpine just totally messed the whole situation and they've lost not only Piastri, one of their you know star juniors who've spent so much money in on so much money on this season just doing the testing programs and whatnot, but also, the extra cost of the legal fees that they've got to now pay as well to bring McLaren into the, the CRB and whatnot, and then to lose the ruling 
but then also they've lost Fernando Alonso, so they've got to find another driver for next year. And, you know, if it's going to be Pierre Gasly, then good for him. But, you know, with that, we'll be talking about this time next year, if it is Gasly and Ocon, whether the two fall out and everything, is there going to be problems? They'll be like, oh, you know, they weren't supposed to be teammates in the first place because of this and because of that. It's like, well... That kind of just goes back on the on the team, doesn't it? You know, it's the team's fault for getting themselves into this situation in the first place. So, you know, that's basically where we have to leave that. Um, talking about the date the contract was signed, of course. So that definitely was one of the surprising revelations of the whole uh, CRB statement was the fact that uh, Piastri signed this deal on the 4th of July, just after the British Grand Prix weekend, but crucially, uh, it was at a time where Daniel Ricciardo, a week later on the 13th or whatever, put out a statement on Instagram, which was very heartfelt and whatnot, about him being committed to seeing out his deal at McLaren in, 20, in 2023. So, you know, what was the point of, you know, leading him on if they knew that um, he wasn't going to be there next year. I don't know, like, whether it was a some kind of deal that they signed where they would just bring Piastri into the McLaren camp for next year and then just hope that everything else worked out or whatever. Who knows? But I'm not going to go f- as far as saying that, you know, there's, there's betrayal, there's backstabbing and drama and all that sort of thing because... Formula One is all about that, unfortunately. You know, it is ruthless as a business. And for Ricardo, the writing was on the wall. You know, if he couldn't improve, which, you know, he hasn't still, you know, he still hasn't, which is sad, uh, that there was no other direction that they could go in other than um, their separate ways. So we'll leave it at that. Um, people are still going to be upset. You know, the, 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 I don't even know whether to call them hardcore fans because. They just always want to see drama and whatnot. So, you know, and I'm a big fan of Ricardo too, but unfortunately it's not worked out. So we've just got to cut our losses and, and look forward to what comes next. There was uh, a moment where he was overheard talking about his future with Checo and um, then he saw a camera and then stopped talking, but said something along the lines of uh, take a year off and come back in 24. Does that mean, you know, this reserve driver gig at Mercedes uh, could come about? And then if Hamilton retires at the end of next year, we get Ricardo and a Mercedes in 2024. Wouldn't that be a treat? You know, that would be worth taking a year off for, I think. So let's not all get too carried away and um, hateful at each other for, you know, not supporting him or, you know, F1 betrayed him, McLaren betrayed him. Plus, you know, again, the whole toxic attitude towards McLaren that's totally unwarranted you know you're not really a fan of the team or anything if you're giving them abuse like that so yeah gotta gotta stick by them if you're a fan otherwise just stop letting stop you know with these toxic opinions that keep coming out and upsetting other people (sighs) anyway Oscar (laughs) It's going to be a baptism of fire for Oscar, though, next year. And this is where what I'm focusing on is whether 
the gamble for McLaren and the gamble from the Piastri camp to jump out of where they're comfortable at Alpine to go over to McLaren is going to be worth the trouble that it's been, you know? And I feel like his class and his skills will show. Um, And some points that I've made, I've been trying to write an article about this, which, you know, trying to sound different to what everyone else has been saying and focusing on is the fact that, you know, the way that he's shown himself in the junior formula, in Formula 3, Formula 2, all the things that he did before then, shows that he is on the same level as a George Russell and a Charlotte Leclerc, and even Lando Norris, who will be his teammate next year. You know, the qualifying gap between Ricardo and Norris this year, you know, is has been hovering around that, you know, half a second to over half a second. If, you know, he can close that, can Piastri close that next year, then that'll be good, that'll be a good start, but then also doing the work like Norris has to understand and adapt his driving style to this car, and not saying that Ricardo hasn't done the work and whatnot, but he just still, he's done the work, but he still relies too much on his natural driving style, which... I know we like that driving style, it's it's entertaining and it's really good in races, but with this car, you just have to try and give a little more, as Carlos Sainz did in, in 2019 and 2020, where he was brilliant with the team, and I'm going to say it again, yes, I miss, I miss having Sainz in McLaren, because, you know, he and Lando were just such a good pairing, but also Lando as well this year, the car wasn't designed to suit Lando. This is a fact that people need to get um, or understand is that it wasn't designed to suit Lando. It just was a very interestingly designed car with the out-of-date infrastructure and technology that they have at the you know McLaren MTC, McLaren Technology Center. And it's not going to be till 2024 where they have that new wind tunnel and driver simulator that we're going to we're going to see them back on par, hopefully, with the top teams. Um, but in the meantime, they just have to focus and focus on not hemorrhaging as many points as they have been in the last two years. I mean, last year they lost third in the Constructors' Championship because of the points that they lost due to one side of the garage not being quick enough or not being able to score. And then again, the same thing this year, they're going to lose fourth in the constructors because of that. So that's the thing that needs to stop or they can't have again next year. Um, With Piastri, it is a big risk. You know, it is a big risk to have him come in and not be able to if he doesn't perform then there are going to be questions asked about it and whatnot and the fact that he's coming into a new system it's not as comfortable as where he's been at Alpine having spent all that time embedded in the team but this is the challenge that we want to see for the sake of the young driver um, succeed but then also for the team as well so that they've made the right decision by you know going through this split with the established Ricardo and then taking a risk on a young driver. So I hope that all makes sense and that, you know, when we get to next year, we can talk about the fact that, yes, this gamble was worth it for McLaren rather than it wasn't. So, yeah, I couldn't have made my point clearer, I think, in that instance. Rounding things off then, looking ahead to the Italian Grand Prix this weekend and while we're on the subject of McLaren and Ricardo, um, it is... 
going to be the returning to the scene of that magnificent win last year. And I still, you know, feel so happy when I think about that. That was such a good race, such a good day, not only for the team, but for Ricardo as well. And, you know, it's always going to be a moment that we all look at as being the highlights of the partnership. And it just makes me wish that there was more of it, you know, and unfortunately there's not, so we have to move on from that. But we're never going to forget that. And that was Ricardo at his best. And hopefully he will find his best again wherever he ends up in the future. So if only we could be treated to a result like that this weekend, uh, like we did last year with the 1-2 um, Norris up there too. But unfortunately, Red Bull probably will be the favourites. Uh, the straights obviously favouring the RB18 quite a bit. So it wouldn't be surprising if we see a Max win on Sunday, but we do get some crazy races at Monza like we did in 2020 with Pierre Gasly winning and taking his first win ahead of Carlos Sainz. So McLaren have been on the podium two years in a row at Monza. So could we make it a third year? Wink, wink. Um, important as well, whilst talking about Max, that we look at the records too, because his win at Zandvoort was his 30th career win. He's now one off, equaling Nigel Mansell, the great Nigel Mansell, of course, and then two wins off Fernando Alonso's win tally too. So, you know, within a couple of races, he could be ahead of those two. And then on his way to reaching the likes of Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost and Sebastian Vettel. So um, I don't think he could reach those guys in this particular season with the races that we've got left. But the fact that he's getting closer to them is is just unheard of. And he's only three wins off reaching Vettel's record again from 2013 of 13 wins in a season. So, you know, this is just incredible what we're seeing from Verstappen at the moment. So, you know, going to stop talking good things, or not good things, but just going to stop talking about Verstappen now as we get to the end of this episode. But um, Ferrari, it's their homecoming. There's going to be more scrutiny on them this weekend, especially if there's going to be more failures like they've had all year with the pits, pit stops and strategy and decision-making and, and reliability and drivers make mistake too. Do they need changes within the team? Like... You know, there's no one that you can see screaming to you as being a candidate to replace Mattia Bonotto as team principal. What I've sort of come to the conclusion of is that I feel Bonotto is a bit too soft, you know, and maybe the whole team is a bit soft. That's the thing, because there was unrest last time there was a hard personality in charge in the form of Maurizio Arrivabene, who did come down hard if, you know, they made bad decisions and whatnot, then that's basically what him got kicked out by, uh, you know, the the majority. They wanted someone like Bonotto who would be more for the people, you know, he'd be more for the, the workers and whatnot. But sometimes, rather than getting your ego massaged, you need to get a bit of a brutal wake-up call. And in this instance, wherever the problem is and however it is happening, I think Bonotto needs to just be a bit harder. I think, as well, it doesn't help the fact that the current bigwigs at Ferrari are not as present as much as, um, you know, Sergio Marchionne was or Luca Montezemolo. They were very much on the case of whoever the team principal was or the team at large. You know, Marchionne was a real hard 
character, as was De Montezemolo before he um, was forced to step down when Ferrari had its little reshuffle. So, you know, John Elkin and uh, Louis Camilleri, they are seen at races and whatnot, but we don't see that hard personality that we got from the predecessors. And not that that worked for... Like, I don't know what will work for Ferrari. Seriously, they just need to work something out because it's just not happening. And, you know, like I said earlier, I just can't see a situation where they'll win a race again this year. You know, Mercedes seem more favourites to me than to win a race if Red Bull doesn't on an occasion. So that's going to be a bit of pill for them to swallow. But who knows, they might come out and smash everyone for a one-two, and then everything will be fine, who knows, um, potential news as well of Colton Herter from IndyCar being granted a super license, we could find that out as early as this weekend to get the Alpha Tauri drive for next year with Pierre Gasly out, Helmut Marco saying that uh, they're only considering Colton for that drive, so that might mean Mick Schumacher doesn't get the opportunity um, to jump across from Haas, maybe Schumacher might not be on the grid next year, who knows, I don't know, again, Colton, a bit of an erratic driver, whether coming to Formula 1 might polish that up or whatever, it'll get, you know, F1, the American driver that they want on the grid and, and whatnot, so who knows, like, I'm, I'm excited, you know, that we're going to get to see someone different, but just have to wait and see how it all pans out. While we're on IndyCar, though, you know, great job from Scott McLaughlin over the weekend, winning his third race of the season, and also being the only driver to have won from pole position, I think, this year too. So I wish he was a lot closer in the points to Will Power and Scott Dixon to be able to challenge for the championship heading into the last round. But, you know, anything can happen. He could still win. But I'm really happy to see how well McLaughlin's done in his second year in Indy, in IndyCar. It means that, you know, the skill and the talent that he has is you know, has been realised, you know, what Roger Penske saw here at, in the Supercars Championship has actually come to fruition over there in IndyCar, and IndyCar is such a tough championship as we know, so well done to him, and I hope we are talking about him potentially, you know, if not this year, but next year as being a hot title favourite, um, and that he could actually pull it off, which would be quite amazing, so yeah, anyway, thanks so much for tuning in again this week. Remember to find us on the socials at Hit the Apex, Apex Media on the Twitter, and then there's also the link tree to all the other links as well, relevant to me and this podcast. Until next week, when we come back to review the Italian Grand Prix, and also as uh, Pocacoe on this weekend as well. I have a feeling it is. Yes, it is race week in the Supercars Championship. We're heading across the. Ditch to Pukekohe, the final race of Pukekohe in supercars. Um, we look forward to it. So thank you very much, guys, and we'll see you next week.